How many in this room just can't resist pushing people's buttons? Right? Oh, yeah, we got somewhere out here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you, when, you, when you know that they've got like this little kind of thing that they're sensitive to or something, it's just, oh, it's really hard, right? I, I am one of them. I, oh my gosh, I, I just really, it's a struggle for me. It is. I just like have to tell myself no, right? And, and sometimes it just like automatically just happens, right? Like I'm halfway through it, pushing somebody's button, and I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I doing here right now, you know? Uh, but most recently, uh, this happened uh, during Lent. <laughs> so, uh, you know, for Lent, I, uh, I fasted on Wednesdays, and my wife was amazing, right? I mean, it's like she didn't fast on Wednesdays, but I did. And so she, like, made sure that she, like, almost never ate in front of me. I mean, I was like, and I kept telling her, it's, no, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. I mean, I can handle it, right? You know, it's a little, little you know, temptation. It's okay, right? But no, she, I mean, she wouldn't eat when I'm there, right? And so, like, I had to leave a couple times just so she would eat, right? I was like, I'm going to go to the store for a little bit, honey. It'll be all right, you know? And, but anyway, just so she could eat. Otherwise, she's, like, starving all day on Wednesdays, too. Anyway, so uh, I, just awesome. But my wife, she gave up sweets, for Lent. Ah, and I didn't. <laughs> and I just couldn't resist sometimes. I could have a bowl of ice cream, you know. Honey, you want a bowl of ice? Oh, wait, that's right. You're fasting from sweets. Oh, excuse me while I get some ice cream, right? And, and then sitting right next to her, right? You know, kind of like, you know, slurping up the ice cream a little bit, right? So she can hear it, right? You know, oh my God, a bowl of chocolate, right? You know, we never have a bowl of chocolate at our house. Whole time through Lent, we had a bowl of chocolate. It was so good. Oh, I got to eat it all. Oh man, it was awesome. Anyway, but this is just me, right? This is this evil side of me, right? That, but we, we, we like to do that, right? I like to... Sometimes we just like to push people's buttons, right? So, but understand that, you know, I didn't start there, all right? Uh, when I was younger, I, um, I actually was really sensitive, right? When I was a, what? a long time ago, <laughs> a long time ago, when I was a child, <laughs> I, I was super sensitive to stuff, right? And, and uh, unfortunately, I lived with the evil one, a.k.a. my sister. And she was a few years older than me, and she loved to push my little sensitivity buttons. I mean, she just loved it. I mean, she just got a kick out of it, right? And I remember as a kid, you know, we, our TV was down. It's a two-story house. Our TV was downstairs. And so I'd be down there watching TV, one, you know, some great show like, I don't know, Scooby-Doo or something. And, and my sister would come down the stairs, like just like totally unannounced. I'm just having a good time and watching my show for, you know, a half hour, an hour, whatever. And she comes down the stairs, walks over to the couch, grabs the remote, and changes the channel without anything saying anything to me. Just like change the channel. And, and then, of course, it would elicit the response that she was hoping for, which was me screaming my head off, Angie, what are you doing? Why are you? And I just would literally start screaming. Now, you know, part of the reason that I would scream was because, uh, you know, my parents were upstairs, right? And I, I wanted to alert them that there was something going on down here that was evil, that the evil one had walked downstairs and there was chaos going on, right? Thinking that, you know, my parents, they, you know, good, 
you know, good-hearted, loving people. I mean, they're my parents, right? That they would hear their son screaming and realize, oh my gosh, there's something horrible going on. I need to go check on my son before he dies. But no. They would literally, my mom would yell back at me, Sean, shut up! <laughs> what? I mean, what parent does that, right? I did it, yeah. And, and, Exactly. So anyway, I did this for a long time. For years as a child, I'm just struggling with this. And then I was, I don't know, maybe 12 or 13 years old. My dad one day, after one of these, you know, outbreaks and uh, explosions of me screaming and my sister, the evil one, doing bad things, he sits me down on the couch one day and he says to me, and I don't know, maybe he told me this a bunch of times, but for whatever reason, I remember this one time. Because he sits me down on the couch, he says, Son, do you realize that your sister is doing this on purpose. That, that she loves it when you scream and freak out. And I was like, for whatever reason, this time it finally like sunk in. And I remember myself going, oh, evil, evil one, right? And from that day on, everything changed. Oh no, she could never get me to scream again. Oh, oh, oh no, but I was starting to look for her buttons and start pushing those buttons, right? And it was like, Argh! it was a battle and the war was on and it continues to this day with my poor, sweet, innocent wife. <sighs> so maybe uh, you can relate to that reality, you know, the, the tendency to push people's buttons. And, and, and I think that's kind of what's going on in Corinthians in chapter 8. Uh, that, that the Corinthians, some of the Corinthians were actually like pushing the buttons of some of those in the church that were a little oversensitive or a little sensitive to certain things. That, that there were some in the Corinthian church that had these certain freedoms that they wanted to live out and felt like they could live out, but they, they would live them out right in front of their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who were sensitive in that area or, or felt like that was wrong. And they would do it just to push their buttons, right? And, and, and eventually what we have here, I think, in chapter 8 is someone writes a letter to Paul to complain about these people who are pushing their buttons. Right? And, and they say, come on, Paul, you need to do something about this. You know, like me screaming for my parents, you guys got to do something. There's evil going on here. And, and so we have someone who writes this letter to Paul and says, hey, 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 you, you need to come and fix this. We have people that are living out their freedoms just blatantly in front of us. And, and it's wrong because it's, you know, that's, those things they shouldn't be doing or those things they, they need to at least abstain from when they're around us. And so Paul writes his letter to Corinthians, and here in chapter 8, he addresses this issue. He addresses their concerns about these uh, unruly and button-pushing <laughs> Corinthian Christians. And so let me uh, read our chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. <clears throat> now about food sacrificed to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge. But knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. So then, uh, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no God but one. 
For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came, and from whom we live, and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came, and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do. Be careful, however that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister from whom Christ, for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. We, in our culture today, I think, have this same issue and tendency in our churches in America. We, we have some of us among us who... who, who like to kind of flaunt our freedoms, in a sense, in front of others who we know are sensitive. We, it's almost like, you know, when we find out someone has a certain sensitivity, we, 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 all, we want to kind of like explode, expose that sensitivity and how wrong they are in believing that. And so we want to live that freedom right in front of them in order to cause them to kind of be shaken up so that maybe they'll change their opinion. We have others that are really sensitive and they see that these some people are living in free ways that we think is wrong and so we want to make sure that they know that uh, they're wrong and so we don't hesitate to not only judge them in our minds but oftentimes proclaim judgment on them as they live out in their freedoms. Both sides are obviously have issues but but let me give you some uh, kind of modern day examples of the food sacrifice to idols that Paul was dealing with. Now, obviously, food sacrifice to idols in our culture is not really an issue, right? And so, so what does this mean for us in North American Christianity? And here's a list, and, and I, I would say that even this list may be debatable for some of you in here, and I guess maybe that's kind of the point, uh, is that it is a debatable, a debatable issue. It's, it's, these, are, these are things or behaviors that some Christians participate in that other Christians think, oh my gosh, why are you doing that? That's wrong. That's sin. So here, are, here is my list. First of all, uh, using cuss words, so swearing. Uh, watching certain shows or movies or reading certain books. Uh, drinking alcohol. Smoking, either cigars or pipes, cigarettes or vaping or whatever. Uh, extravagant purchases sometimes can be that, that. You know, they buy that really big house or buy that really super expensive car. Uh, maybe more closely directly to like the, the, the sacrificing to idols issue of Corinthians, maybe like horoscopes or certain types of magic. 
and then finally, even medications, certain medications. Uh, Christians would say are not, that you shouldn't take certain medications, and others think that, oh, you can take whatever medication you want. So these are some of the kind of the hot-button issues that some Christians have sensitivities to and other Christians feel like they can live freely in. And it creates division in our churches. Creates division in the one sense that, one, uh, that those with freedom, again, are flaunting it in front of those they know who are sensitive, but it also creates tension in the sense and division in the sense of those who are sensitive judging those who are living freely. So the question is, who's right? And this was the question, I think, to Paul in the letter that was written to Paul. It's like, Paul, who's right here? I mean, wait a second. This is not, they're living out their freedoms like this. This isn't right. And so what does Paul say? And here's the reality of what Paul says. He says that they're both right. But they're also both wrong. Right? He doesn't support either side. He actually supports both sides, and then he also has a corrective for both sides. Those who live with freedom are right to live in that freedom, but those with sensitivities are right to live in those sensitivities. But freedom should not be extreme, and sensitivities should not be judgmental. So they they must both be put in their proper place. So let's look at each of those separately. First of all, freedoms. Let's put those in their proper place. What, what is freedom? What is the good part of freedom? The, the reality is of freedom is that we are covered by grace as Christians, right? That, that when we become a Christian, right, we, we have this amazing grace that removes all sin from our lives and protects us from that and, and allows us to now live into that grace, that we are free from our bondage to sin, you know, in essence, you know, we've talked about this before. Before Christ, all we could do was sin. After Christ, right, after we've accepted him, all we can do in essence is righteousness. All that we do is righteousness. Now, obviously, right, some of our behaviors are still sinful. We still sin. But in the eyes of God, because of Christ and because of the blood of Christ, because of grace, we are still received as perfect. And so there's a sense that we are free Even when we sin, I mean, and these aren't sin issues that we're talking about per se. These are kind of gray issue behaviors that we're talking about. But even in our sin, we're righteous, right, because of Christ. So in these gray areas, there's freedom in that. Uh, Also, freedom comes from the fact that we're not bound by legalism. That that we don't have to try to toe the line to certain legalistic behaviors, right? This is grace, right? The Old Testament was law, right? You had to live by the law. You had to fulfill the law. If you didn't fulfill the law, you break it at any point, then you're imperfect and you, you, you fail. The New Testament is you don't have to live by the law. Jesus lived by the law. He fulfilled the law. And so now we are in, right? It doesn't matter what our behavior is. So there's a sense that we, we shouldn't be living in legalism either. Galatians 5, is, and I'm going to read a couple of verses from there in a minute, but that's kind of what Galatians 5 is all about. I mean, Paul is writing to the Galatian church who accepted Christ by grace, but then they fell back into a legalistic lifestyle. And he's like, well, what are you guys doing? Why are you living out this legalistic lifestyle? You were saved by grace, now live in grace as well. Uh, also, the reality in freedom is that when we understand the truth, The truth sets us free. When we understand what is true in this world, what is real, what is true reality, then it frees us to live without superstition. 
You know, so often in our lives, I think even as Christians, we, we, we have superstitions that we hung on to or perspectives of God and of our lives that we've hung on to from a child as a child that we continue to think we have to live out in order to appease God or in order to make God happy, right? And there's this reality that when we come to understand truth, it frees us. It frees us in understanding as what is real sin and what is not real sin. Galatians 5.1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So freedom is a good thing. Living in that freedom is a good thing. But what is freedom not? We need to look at the other side because there's a point where that freedom starts to kind of fall into something that's not good anymore. First of all, freedom is not a license to indulgence. It's not a license for us to just live however we want to live. It's not a license for us to just kind of, you know, pour ourselves into, you know, whatever thing that we think we're free to do. Reality is, is when we come to Christ, our life should be different. There's certain things that we were doing before we became saved that we shouldn't do after we get saved. And I'm not even talking about black and white sin issues. I'm just talking about a way that we live, right? The way that we interact in this world. Some of these even gray area freedoms, like, you know, I mean, you could look at cussing, right? I mean, maybe you were a big, you know, into foul language before you became, came to Christ. And then after you gave to Christ, you know, should your language change? Ah, boy, I think it should. It's not that you never cuss and never say a bad word, but boy, you should have a little bit different way of terminal, you know, communicating with people right? I mean, it's this idea, right? But sometimes we just kind of cling on to that, right? It was like, there's no difference. I came, came to Christ, and because of grace, now I can just continue to live my life and, in grace and don't have to worry about it. But that's not what Scripture says, right? I mean, we need to, God is calling us into living self-controlled lives. God is calling us into to, to, to following the Spirit wherever He leads, to be holy and set apart in this world. Freedom is also not a right to be demanded, we often think just because we have this freedom to, to live this certain way that it's something that, you know, we have a right to. And, and that if anybody ever calls us out, oh, no, I can still do this. It doesn't say anything about it in Scripture. Or I doesn't, whatever. You know, we can stand on that and demand that we get to live this way. Matter of fact, we get to live this way anywhere and everywhere. If they've got a problem with it, well, that's their problem. This is not what freedom is to be used for. We don't have a right to demand that. There are Christians around us with sensitivities that we need to be aware of. There are non-Christians around us with sensitivities that we need to be aware of. God calls us to have concern for everyone, not just ourselves, right? I mean, to look at the needs of other people, to consider their sensitivities. Freedom is also not a reason for pride. So often those who have these freedoms or have this perspective of freedom also have a perspective of intellectual elitism. Like, you know, they are so far advanced because they have come to understand that they're free to do all of these things. And so they begin to condescend in their conversation with those who may be sensitive in these areas. Oh, it's so bad that maybe someday when you become really, you know, a strong Christian and understand God's word, then you'll live like I do in this freedom. This is not a reason for pride because you feel like you have certain freedoms that others don't. It's actually God calls us to humility. We would recognize Again, the needs and the weaknesses of our brothers and sisters and be sensitive to those. 
Galatians 5.13 says, For you were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. There's limits to that freedom that we should willingly give. We have freedoms, yes, but we need to be sensitive and pay attention to serve one another. How about sensitivities? Let's put sensitivities in their place. What is a sensitivity? A sensitivity basically can be a number of things. Uh, First of all, a a temptation to overindulgence. Some of us, you know, they call it, uh, I think in the psychological world or psychology world, they call it uh, addictive personality, right? You know, the idea that, you know, some of us are just more addicted to certain things or have a a tendency to be addicted to things more than others, right? And and so some of us, it's just a temptation temptation to overindulgence. That's our sensitivity that, that, you know, there are certain things, maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's smoking, maybe it's cussing, maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's, you know, TV, maybe it's a cell phone, whatever. We have this uh, this tendency to uh, get addicted to things. And, And so we have to recognize those sensitivities. And that's a legitimate sensitivity that we as individuals need to be aware of. Another sensitivity could be simply a a negative experience with a particular behavior. Maybe you grew up in a home of alcoholics, and so now you're really sensitive to alcohol. You you just don't want to be around it. You don't want to see it. And so for for you, it's just an area that really causes you fear because you've just seen the negative side of that for so so many years of your life. Maybe it's another potential of sensitivity is just personal convictions where, you know, we just, you know, the Lord leads us to a certain point and perspective on a particular freedom, saying either, yes, we we shouldn't be a part of that, or yes, we should be. I mean, in my life, there are certain freedoms that I used to kind of live out in freely. And the Lord has eventually, at some point in my life, said, actually, no, I, I don't want you to do that anymore. I don't want you to exercise that freedom anymore. I want you to abstain. And there's other things that I used to abstain from all the time and just felt like you know, I, couldn't, I couldn't partake, be a part of that. And then God has changed that perspective too, and now I can participate in that freedom, right? And so it's this idea that it's a personal conviction too. Sometimes, you know, God will lead us. We each have this unique relationship with God. He knows exactly what we need and what we don't need, and he will lead us to that if we're sensitive to it. Romans uh, chapter 14 talks a lot about this uh, same, and this is Paul again, but he's talking about this same kind of idea of uh, food sacrifice to idols and some other things. He's also talked about days of the week of worship and this kind of stuff in this chapter, but it speaks to this idea of sensitivity. It says here in Romans 14, 14, I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. This is Paul writing. But, he goes on to say, if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. The, the, the idea here is that, you know, that for, for he, he, Paul, was like saying, look, I, I don't think eating meat, sacrificed to idols, is anything. It doesn't matter. I, it, it, there's no power. It's, it's, I, it's, I can eat it. it it's not going to make me unclean. But he says, some of you, because you maybe grew up in the temple, maybe you grew up in that religion, maybe you understand that in a different way. You've seen the abuses. And so for you, you look at food sacrifice to idols, and you're like, oh my gosh, that's really unclean. I'm not touching that. So for that person to eat would be a sin, would be unclean. But for Paul, in his freedom and understanding, it would be okay. right? So there's this difference this, uh, of how we interact with certain, and I would say these gray areas, these freedoms. 
So that's sensitivity. But what is, what is not sensitivity? What is sensitivity is not for us? It's first of all, it's not a license to control. We so often will use our sensitivities to try to control other, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ. To force them to live according to our, you know, kind of, you know, perspective, right? That, that we actually want them, to, we want them to accommodate us. So if like we're in the room, well, they all have to change the way they talk or they have to change what they're doing or what they're interacting with or what, you know, this kind of thing. They, they, they have to uh, pay attention to my sensitivities. So we're actually kind of this demanding that people pay attention to my sensitivities and live, you know, as according to the way I think they should live. The second side is that it's not a sin for everyone. Our sensitivity, just because we're sensitive to it, doesn't mean that it's a sin for everyone. Again, this example I just gave you with Paul and the eating, you know, the meat sacrificed to idols, right? For Paul, it wasn't a sin for him to eat it. For the person who, who had this connection with that sacrifice and understood it in a different way, it was a sin for them to eat it, right? So we oftentimes, with our sensitivities, we, we like to normalize those sensitivities and make it so that everybody has to see it from our perspective, that everybody has to live according to the way that we see things, right? If it's a sin for me, then it must be a sin for, all, for everyone. That's kind of the perspective we come from. And so, now again, there's, there's black and white sins that are sins for everyone. Let's not, not, I don't want to confuse that. We're talking about certain freedoms that are kind of those gray areas in Scripture where it's, it's not a clear, cut and dried, black and white issue. Those are the areas that we need to recognize that it, it may be a sin for me, but not for others. And so oftentimes, because of that, we judge others when we see them live in their freedom and it's a sensitivity to us. We may never say anything to them, but we sit back and in our minds, or maybe when we're gossiping with a friend, we're you know, whispering about this particular person and the freedoms they're living out and judging them in that. But again, God calls us to serve and to care for one another, to love one another. It's also not, this, this is a cautionary note for sensitivity, it's not to be ignored. Sometimes the tendency for those who are sensitive when they're around with a bunch of different people that don't have that same sensitivity is they begin to second-guess their sensitivity, and so they just will ignore it because, well, everybody else is doing it, so I'm just going to do it, right? And so they just jump into that behavior without really thinking it through. We shouldn't ignore our sensitivities. If we have a sensitivity to a certain behavior, certain freedom that others have, it's not that we should judge people about it, but we shouldn't just join them in it either. We need to allow the Spirit to lead us into that, because maybe He will, but maybe the Spirit's saying, no, it's a sensitivity for a reason. I don't want you to engage in that. It's a danger spot for you. I'm trying to protect you. So we need to pay attention to those sensitivities as well. And then finally, just like freedoms, it's not a reason for us to have pride, our sensitivities, right? To, to be proud about our sensitivities. You know, sometimes we have this perspective of, you know, this pious elitism. You know, you know these people are out there just living, you know, horribly and living in all these freedoms. We just kind of look at them and, oh, well, you know, if you were as holy as I was, if you were set apart like me, you would have control of all of your behaviors and you wouldn't participate in those things that are kind of on the edges of, you know, what Scripture teaches, right? You know, I mean, this kind of pious elitism kind of perspective. We con they condescend in their conversations with those who are living freely. You know, and kind of, oh, yeah, I mean, maybe someday you'll come to a more holy perspective. But again, that calls us to humility. We don't know. We, we don't know where people are at. We don't know, you know, even where we're at in some of this stuff. 
we need to have some humility in that, understanding that there's different perspectives on these gray areas, right? And not just jump to that judgment or jump, jump to the condescension. Romans 13, 14, again, it, it kind of plays this out a little bit more for us. Verses 3 and 4. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. His point is that we are servants of God. Who are we to judge God's servants? They are responsible to live according to the way God leads them to live, and I'm responsible to live according to the way God leads me to live, right? And so who are we to look at some, you know, somebody else's servant and say, oh man, they're doing a bad job? Now again, this is gray area behaviors, right? There's black and white where we need to hold each other accountable. There's black and white where we need to come alongside each other and help each other. And even in these gray areas, sometimes we do need to come along each other, beside each other and have the conversation, Right? And to, to at least you know, broach the, su- the subject right? and, and ask a person who is living in freedom, why are they living in that freedom? To ask a person who's sensitive, why are they sensitive? So that we can have better understanding among ourselves. And maybe there would be changes that will come as a result of those questions. But we shouldn't judge. We shouldn't condescend. We shouldn't look down upon because they are different than us. Here's what God calls us to. He calls us as a family. This is the point. We are a family here. <laughs> we, are, we are all in this together. We need each other. We can't just, you know, tear each other down. We can't just point fingers and judge. We can't condescend. We can't just, you know, throw people under the bus. We need to recognize that we need each other. We've all been adopted into the family of God. We need each other's support in order to mature in order to become more holy, in order to live more rightly, in order to see more clearly what God is leading each of us individually to live, how to live, right? We're connected to one another. Because we're in a family, we're connected. We're we're one body, right? We're, We're the body of Christ, You know, when we begin to judge each other or begin to attack each other or put each other down for these freedoms or these sensitivities, it's like a self-inflicted wound. It's like looking at our foot and going, oh man, there's a bunch of calluses on that. I'm just going to hack that thing right off. We don't need that foot, right? I mean, what are we doing, right? We are hurting ourselves. We're hurting our own body when we judge each other over these things. We are family. We share our strengths. We share our weaknesses. We rise and we fall together. See, we so often lose sight of this because we're in this individualistic culture that that we think that we can just live our Christian life by ourselves and not worry about anybody else. But this is the reality. We are in the family of God. And the family of God is expressed only in local congregations like Trinity Alliance. We as a family, we rise and we fall together. 
If someone in our midst is falling, we need to be there to help them, to support them. If someone in our congregation is rising, then we need to be there to champion them and, and cheer them on. We rise and we fall together. We need to recognize the interconnectedness that we have and stop creating these self-inflicted wounds where we begin to judge each other and beat each other up over these areas of freedom. There are gray areas in Scripture that it's hard to understand what was really right or wrong here. But understand that we're all under grace. See, because God calls us again to love. John 13, 35. By this, everyone will know that we are His disciples if we love one another. This is, this is what we need to do with each other. This is how we need to interact with one another. And what does this look like in the areas of freedoms and sensitivities? That first of all, those with freedoms would choose to restrict their freedoms for the sake of those who are sensitive. To, to love our brothers and sisters in Christ who are sensitive in certain areas enough to make accommodation for them when we're with them. That doesn't, that's not hard. I mean, I think we can do that. But it's just a matter of us choosing to restrict our freedoms out of love. Those who of us who are sensitive to certain areas or certain behaviors, that we would choose to allow others freedom. That we would love them enough to give them grace. To be gracious. To think, does this, does this say, I don't know. It seems like it would be a sin to me, but I don't know. Let me give them the benefit of the doubt. All right. Worship team, would you please come forward? I'm going to transition into communion. And as I do, just... This whole message is about, it comes down to this family piece. That we're, that we're all together. Right? We need to stop beating each other up. And this is Paul's point in chapter 8. He's like, look it. You know, if you eat, great. If you don't eat, great. It's, it's not, this isn't a big, dish, big issue, right? You're not a better Christian if you eat, and you're not a better Christian if you don't eat. It's, this is a gray area. But you know what? Love each other. Stop tearing each other up. I want to read that again because... Sorry. I guess I shouldn't be sorry. I'm the pastor. I can do what I want. Um. Freedoms, yeah. Uh. The first verse. Now, about food sacrifice idols, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God, that we would be known for loving God. And we love God by loving each other. 